increase. God gives the harvest, and so that's what we're praying for. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, as we continue in this preparation for Christ's return. Are you ready for the rapture? I don't mean are you ready for it to happen. I think every day I am more and more ready for Christ to come back. I, I look at the world around us and I see all that's going on and I say with Paul the Apostle, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And uh, Maranatha, we're ready for Christ to return. But are we living ready? Are we ready as the church in chapter 1, the model church that had uh, a, a love that labored, had faith that functioned, and had a hope that held on and holds on? That's what we are to be as a church. And then Paul is going to give us in chapters 2 and 3 how that takes place. It starts with, as we saw last week, some spiritual leadership as those who are who are saved, those who are in Christ, begin to work to influence all those around them, the people that God has brought into our lives, fathers and husbands stepping up as the spiritual leaders of their home, saying, we are going to, we're going to move forward. I'm going to take as my responsibility the spiritual condition of my family and parents taking that concern for their children, those that are working and laboring, looking at those in their workplace and those that are in school looking at the students around them. Who can I influence for their spiritual benefit and for God's glory? That's how, with that taking place, that's how we move toward being a church that has faith and hope and love as our, as our cornerstone, as Paul has described. And then we come to chapter 3, and he describes what those spiritual leaders are trying to accomplish and what is to take place in every one of our lives. And that is to be ready for Christ's return, to be ready for the rapture. We need to be growing in Christ. We need to be a mature believer. We need to be a mature Christian. We'll look at that as we look at this text this morning. I want you to join me in a word of prayer before we get into the word. Father, we come to you. You are a great and mighty God. You're a sovereign Lord. You're ruler of all. You are worthy to receive the glory and honor and praise that we have given to you this morning and much, much more. You have created all things and for your pleasure they are and were created. So we thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. From before the foundation of the world, before creation, before the fall, you had prepared your redemptive plan to restore us to yourself and to restore what had been ruined in this creation. Lord, we groan with the rest of creation, carrying the burden of a fallen world, but we rejoice because of the glory that awaits ahead. And Lord, we gather this morning to join the countless multitude in heaven that is praising the Lamb that was slain for our transgressions, that was slain to bring about the redemptive work that you are doing. Father, give us a heart and an understanding for your gospel, for your work in us. We ask that it will be more than just merely a recipe for salvation experience. But Lord, may we experience it as the life-transforming truth that it is. May we experience your work in us to strengthen us, to cause us to grow, to mature into Christ-likeness. We pray, Father, for those who have never heard the gospel or those that have never experienced it after they have heard. We thank you for the faithful men and women around the world and in our country and in our 
state and in our city that are proclaiming the message of the gospel, and we ask for your blessings on them. Give them opportunities to share, to give, to uh, give them boldness. Lord, help them as Paul and Timothy did for the church at Thessalonica to be an encouragement and a teacher in the word so that they may be grounded. Father, it is our desire that you be magnified today through our worship, and we worship you now as we receive the truth that your word has for us. Fill our hearts and minds with your glory that we may know that nothing is better than you. And Lord, that your glory may flow through us and out of us through this week ahead. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the blessed Lamb by whose shed blood we are redeemed. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to begin reading in verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now, when Timothy came from you to us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction, and distress by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. We'll finish the chapter in just a moment, but I want to point out several things to you. The New Testament pattern of what Paul was following was Paul would go into a city and he would proclaim the gospel. He would start with the Jews first. He would go into the synagogues where he would have an open opportunity to begin to speak and to share the gospel. He would have an audience that would be familiar with the scriptures. They would know the Old Testament. They would know the prophecies of Christ. And he would begin to share the gospel with them. But then he would go into the cities after they would either hear or reject. And he would speak to the public. He would speak to the Gentiles, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek as his method. And he would preach the gospel. People would get saved. And Paul would begin to instruct them in following Christ. Part of that instruction was, you are going to face some challenges. You're going to face some hardships. He says, we're going to face some hardships. He says in those verses we just read, as I said unto you, and you know. They not only had heard him say it, they had experienced some challenges and difficulties. And then he would stay there. Sometimes he stayed as much as several years. But he would stay and he would help establish the church in their faith. In Thessalonica, he was not able to stay as long as he would like. And he went from Thessalonica, he went to Berea. And of course, the believers in Berea, those who heard him speak, were more noble than those at Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul said were so. And then he moved from there to the city of Athens where he would speak at Mars Hill and he would speak to a completely pagan audience. And some would believe and some would say, He's a, what is this foolishness that he is speaking? And some heard the gospel and believed. But he would establish a church in each place that he went. And now as he's left Thessalonica, he said, we thought it good. He said, I was in Athens and, and I knew that I had to leave early. So I sent Timothy back to you so he could confirm what was taking place. I was concerned about your growth in Christ. You see, it is not, salvation is so much more than just being saved. 
A lot of people are satisfied that they have a ticket out of hell, a, a, a get into heaven free card, and they're, they're just waiting on the good old gospel train to roll in, and they're going to sit back and, and wait till Christ comes to take them to heaven. But being a Christian, being a Christ follower, is so much more than just trusting Him as our Savior. It is the beginning of living a life of following Christ, of, of Christ living His life in us and following Him as a disciple. And Paul wanted them to move beyond that, and he was concerned about their faith. And so he said, I sent Timothy to check on you. As you read this, this chapter, Paul really makes it clear that he's deeply concerned. This is, a, this is a serious matter for him. Do you notice the phrase that he uses twice? When we could no longer forbear. Well, that's just an old English way of saying, um, when I couldn't stand it anymore. When I could not hold back anymore. And he says it twice. He said, I had to know where you were in your faith. He talks about deeply desiring. And he says, I pray fervently night and day that I may be able to come and see you again so that I can finish teaching you what you need to learn. Paul wasn't satisfied with people coming down the aisle and praying a prayer. He wanted them to trust Christ, but he wanted them to follow Christ. He wanted them to become like Christ. Why do we want to become like Christ? Because there's nothing better than Him. There's nothing greater than Christ. He is the greatest. He is all. And so Paul says, I want you to experience that. As we look at this chapter, Paul is concerned about some dangers to their faith, some dangers to their growth. There's three dangers that they face and that we face as well. The first danger that he warns them about is in verse 3. He warns them about the danger of difficulties. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed there too. Paul is talking about the afflictions that they had experienced. Perhaps the believers in Thessalonica would be intimidated when they hear what happens to Paul for preaching the gospel. Hey, if I, if I follow this way, this way of Christ, then the same thing could happen to me. And maybe they would be intimidated, they would draw back from the faith because of, of what was happening to Paul. But it's also the difficulties in their lives. There are those who are serving Christ and following Christ until difficulties come. And then because of the difficulties, they, they move away. And he said they are shaken. That idea for shaken is the idea of a, of a dog's tail wagging. We've all seen an excited puppy. Puppies are much like children. They're cute when they're little, but then they grow up. No offense, adults. But you see a dog that gets excited, and that, that tail, boy, it just, it's all over the place. Unfortunately, there are some Christians that are all over the place. They're shaken. They are disturbed. They are tossed about, the Bible says. Why? Because something comes along that shakes them up. And sometimes it's the difficulties in our lives, it's the afflictions in our lives, it's the challenges. Oh, it's easy. It's easy when things are going well. It's easy when it's a glory, hallelujah time. But what about when we're going through the valley? What about when we're going to the challenges? I'm glad, as we sang just a moment ago, that the, the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. But that challenge comes, will we stand firm in the faith? Will we stay close to Christ or will the challenges drive us away? The difficulties. There's another danger to our faith. Look in verse, look down in verse 5. 
and that is the deceiver. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. I sent Timothy to find out how you were in your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Paul said, I came and I preached the gospel and I tried to teach you about Christ and I taught you about following Christ, but the tempter comes and he will use, do you notice that phrase, by some means. Satan's devices are not the same with every believer. What tempts one, it's like fishing. You don't catch, now there's some things that every fish in in the world will eat. I remember one time being fishing with a friend and we ran out of bait, and I said, what are we going to do? He said, I'm using green onions. I said, you're not going to catch any He caught fish on green onions. Now, don't tell me how that happened. Fish had really bad breath, but the, he called the fish. But there are some things that are special, specific to certain fish who use that bait. And Satan has many devices. And don't think that just because he doesn't get you with one, that he may not come at you with another. But the deceiver comes. The Bible describes him as a lion. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, don't ever forget that Satan is your enemy. He does not desire your good. So what he offers is never going to be for your good. It may look good. It may appear good. It may be appealing. It may be promised, but Satan always promises what he cannot give. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is after you. And Paul says, I'm concerned. I'm I'm concerned about your spiritual growth and your strength because Satan is out to get you. Remember what we, we talked about it just this morning in our Sunday school class, what Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I love that next phrase, but I have prayed for you. Boy, I'm so glad Jesus is praying for me. He ever lives to intercede on my behalf. I love what Robert Murray McShane said. He said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would fear no enemies. But he said, Jesus is praying, and he said, it doesn't matter the distance. He is at the right hand of the Father, and he is praying for me. Paul says, I want you to be strengthened because there's the danger of Satan and he has many devices. But here's the great danger perhaps to us in verse 8. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. There are those who difficulties come and they don't shake them. They stand firm in the faith. I've seen believers go through some of the hardest times, some of the most unbelievable challenges, and they come out on the other side and their faith is stronger than when they went in. I've seen Satan try to tempt and draw aside his servants and his Christ's followers, and I've seen them withstand and come out stronger on the other side, like a Joseph resisting temptation. And I've seen those same Christians fall to this, and that is the danger of drifting. Because you see, drifting is not something we always can observe. It's something that happens so gradually that we can't always see it. It's a lot like our kids growing up. We see them every day, and we don't really notice that they're growing up. But then you go to that family reunion, and little Aunt Susie comes up and pinches them by the cheeks and says, Oh, they've grown so much. 
because she hasn't seen them since she pinched their cheek last year. And over time, it's happened and they've grown. And the same thing happens in our drifting. We don't notice it because it happens so incrementally and so gradually that we're drifting further and further away until suddenly we realize we've drifted a long way from Christ. And that's a danger. He said, I want you to stand fast. I don't want you to drift. When I was about 13 or 14 years old, a missionary in Canada took my brother and I fishing. We got out on the lake fishing took us out in, in this old beat-up boat. It clearly was one that a missionary could afford. <laughs> no offense to missionaries, but he took us out, and we got about, I don't know, 100 yards, maybe, I don't know, a little ways out from the dock, and the engine died. We said, what? He said, oh, it'll crank back up. That was the first of many things he said that I'm not sure I believed. It'll crank back up. Well, about that time, we started catching fish. And can I get a witness from the fishermen in the crowd that if you start catching fish, you don't care whether the engine's cranking or not. You can drift all day. We drifted for a while until finally he looked at his watch and he said, I've got to get you guys back. we got revival services tonight. He went to crank the engine up and guess what? The engine didn't crank. He said, you guys are going to have to help pull this back to the dock. Well, there's one word in that statement that was just completely fabrication, and that was help. We wasn't helping him do anything. We did it. If you've ever waded through about two miles of waist-deep water pulling a missionary in a boat, I don't recommend it. But I've never forgotten since that day the danger of drifting. Because while you're busy enjoying what's going on and a lot of good things, you can gradually be drifting further and further from Christ. I'll guarantee you there are people that are not here this morning that were here. And they're not here because they fell into deep sin and the, the, the vices of Satan. And they're not here and have quit because they went through deep challenges. They're here because just gradually over time, they kept getting further and further and further away. And they weren't even aware of it. And now they're far away from Christ. And if we're not careful, we can be in a drifting pattern. Paul says, I'm concerned about you. I'm, I, I want you to stand fast. And if I know you're standing fast in the faith, I'm alive. This matters. This is like life and death to me. And if it matters that much to Paul, think about what it matters to Christ. And think about what it ought to matter to us. The danger of drifting. So how do we avoid these dangers? In the last part of this chapter, I want you to see three things that God develops in us. And it is a work of God in us. It is for every believer. It is not something that you have to attain some special knowledge for. It is a work of God in us to develop these three things to help keep us from difficulties, from the dangers that we've just talked about. How does God and what does God develop in us? Well, it's the very things he mentioned in chapter 1 that are identifying marks of the church at Thessalonica. Faith and hope and love. I want you to see this. First of all, in this early part of this chapter, he increases our hope through trials. He increases our hope through trials. Now, this is not a truth that we really <laughs> we enjoy talking about, but Paul says that in, in the book of Romans, that tribulation works what? Patience. 
But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He goes on to say that patience brings hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. What is the end result of the trials and the difficulties that we go through? It is a stronger hope in Christ. Remember that the biblical word for hope is not some positive thing that I hope it happened, but I don't really think it will. It is a steadfast, faith-based assurance that is in Christ that I can be assured that whatever tribulation, whatever difficulty I'm going through, whatever's happening in my life, God is going to bring it for good. And I have to be assured of that. Let me tell you when the time to be settled in this is. It's not when you're going through the difficulties. It is difficult when you're going through the difficulties, to see what God is doing. You need to be assured of this now. If you're not going through a trial or a challenge, you need to be settled in this. And God works to develop this hope in us. And what is it that assures us that He will see us through? We can look back at the trials and the challenges that we've been through, and we can see that God has brought us through it. We can see, how can we sing that the God on the mountain is the God in the valley? Because we've been in the valley and God was there. We can be assured of that. And Paul says, there is this hope that is developed in you. This unsettledness that could come because of these trials. Storms often come to make us stand more firmly, not to blow us away. God allows the the storms into our lives sometimes because when the storm comes by His grace, we can stand more firmly. And when the storm has passed, we have developed a deeper hope in Christ and understand that our hope is in Christ. It is not in the strength of our will. It is not in the strength of our character to withstand trials. It is in Christ alone that our hope is found. The knowledge of the past gives me hope for the future. An old man was once asked what his favorite Bible verse was. He said, my favorite verse is the verse that says, and it came to pass. It came to pass because he said, whenever troubles come, whenever difficulties come, I just simply say, and it came to pass. I shared that verse once with a friend of mine who had kidney stones, but he didn't find much comfort in it at all. Didn't see the humor in it either. It came to pass. Knowing that the storms have come and have passed will help me to know that they will pass once again. I don't know which difficulty you're going through in your life right now. I don't know what... Understand that part of what God is doing, there are many things. God's very seldom, if at all, doing just one thing. God is a multitasking God. But I'll tell you one thing He is doing, and He is deepening your hope in Christ. Notice the second thing. He increases our faith through teaching. Paul has taught. He sends Timothy Timothy sends word back in verse 7 and verse 8 that they are standing firmly. He says, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Paul is encouraged. He says, we live if you stand fast. Timothy sent word back and says, Paul, they've heard about your trials. They've gone through afflictions and they're standing fast in the faith. What a blessed thing it is to see a person who you care about 
and you've seen them begin the walk of faith, maybe it's your children, maybe it's children in our church and the students in our church, and you see them taking those steps of faith, and you stand back, and you, you're not being pessimistic or negative, but you've, if you've seen, been around Christian life much at all, you know that there's the dangers that they will drift. There's the dangers that they will fall away. And you see that, and you, you're praying, and how encouraged Paul is to know that his labor has not been in vain, that all that preaching and teaching that he poured into them, they are staying strong in the faith. They are growing in Christ. They are producing the fruit of the Spirit. And Timothy sends word back, they are standing firmly. But Paul is still praying faithfully. Look at verse 10. He said, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect or complete that which is lacking in your faith. He's praying for them. Aren't you glad for people who have invested into your life in teaching the word and preaching the word and sharing? As we, we saw last week, many times it's not the pastors and the teachers, it's not the missionaries, it's not the Sunday school teachers, but they, often it is them. The people who have given of themselves, thank God for faithful Christians who encourage and teach us to develop fully in him. He says, that I might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Paul is not talking about there's nothing there and I'm going to have to come put it there. He wants to develop what is already there. As I think about being thankful for that, I'm reminded of so many names and faces from my life that God has used to help me grow in Christ. I remember people who taught me the word, and I don't always remember what they taught, but I remember them. I remember encouragement that people gave. I can remember, you know, someone has said that it takes eight encouraging words to counterbalance one negative words, and I can certainly remember some negative words that have been said over the years, but I also remember those who spoke encouragement to me. I can remember what they said, and I can remember where they said it. I can remember standing in the stairwell of Bible college and an older brother in Christ stopping me and saying, God's going to use you. I believe you're, you're going to continue to preach, and God's got something for you. And he, he spoke encouragement into my life, and I can see his face to this day, and I remember that moment. Why does it stand out? Because he... It might be a Paul who's teaching, and it might be a Timothy who's encouraging, but God uses those in our lives to encourage us, to stir us on, to spur us on for Christ. They're the ones that pour into us, and pastors and friends and neighbors and family and teachers and all those that God brings into our lives. That's what he's doing for Thessalonica, and that's who Paul is, and that's who Timothy is. And God wants to develop us. He wants to deepen our faith through the word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's not just our salvation that comes by the word of God. It is the fulfillment of our salvation that God works out through the scriptures. And God brings those into our lives to speak the truth and speak the word to us. So many that I am the beneficiary of. There will be people that I will stand before Christ one day and they have never known me. They died 100, 150 years ago, but through their writings and their devotions and their works that they did, their life speaks on after they are dead. They being dead yet speak and they have spoken into my life and God has used them to help deepen my faith. That's what God's doing 
We want your faith to grow strong because there will come difficulties and Satan will come and try to deceive and there will be the drifting that takes place in our lives and God wants you to be settled, rooted so that you're not blown about by every wind that comes along, Ephesians chapter 4. The third thing that God is developing in us is our love. He increases our love through the truth. What are the truths that he gives us? Notice these last two verses. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in great information and knowledge about biblical matters. There's nothing wrong at all with we've got to learn the scriptures. But what does God want us to abound in? What is he at work to cause us to abound in? To increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. You see the relationship of love that takes place here? The love that we have received from God, Paul says, Paul says we have loved you and I want you to love each other and I want you to love those who are outside the church as well. That's the relationship. That's how love flows. Love expands and grows. Love is not a... It's not division, it's multiplication. And as we love with the love of Christ, we increase our capacity to love. And we love more, and we love not just those who are close to us, but those who are far apart as God loved us. The relationship, but then notice the reason for this, to the end, for the purpose, that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. You see the link between holiness and love? There's the idea sometimes in the church that you can't have holiness and love, that it's one or the other, that you got the crowd over here that loves holiness, and they're all about rules, and they're all about regulations, and they're all about following and doing this and crossing your T's and dotting your I's and getting everything right, and there's no love at all. And on the other side, you've got this crowd over here that's all about love, and they don't care what you do. You can be a worse sinner, and it's all about love. God's just the God of love. Let me tell you that God is a God of love, but God is a God of holiness. And it's not either or, it's both and. And it's actually the love, he says, that fulfills holiness. If you don't have love, you're not holy. And if you're not seeking to be holy, you really don't have love. He says, I want you to be presented the purpose, the reason for this truth. He says, God is developing love in you so that when you stand before him, you will be unblameable because here's the reward. We're standing before God at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Boy, every time Paul's getting this back around to Christ coming back, you see that? Every one of these truths that he's presenting, it's all pointing to what he's going to talk about with the return of Christ and the rapture of the church. When Christ returns, he will reward those who have obeyed his commandment to do what? To love one another as I have loved you. Are you growing in Christ or are you in a drifting pattern? Where's your Christian life? Is it in stasis? Is it it sitting still? Or is it gradually moving forward? You know, the wonderful thing about this is, is that this is not for a select few Christians to get some deeper knowledge. This is for every believer. God has given you and I Everything that we need to grow in Christ. He has placed within us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the desire to follow Christ. 
And it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to follow Christ. It is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You have a desire to grow in Christ. You know where that came from? It came from the Holy Spirit of God. The will to do of His good pleasure. You have a desire to grow in Christ and follow Christ. You feel that tug in your heart right now that, well, I really want to do, I want exactly what he's preaching about. I want what he's talking about. That is the Holy Spirit of God placing that in your hearts. And it is his power that gives us the ability both to will and to do his good pleasure. You will not follow Christ in your own strength. I will not learn of Christ and know Christ in my own strength. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And He's given us His Word. He's given us the Scriptures. He's given us... You know, I love that everything that I need to know to follow Christ is plain and simple. There are many things in the Scriptures that are complex. There are some truths that are hard to understand. Even even Peter said that. He said, Brother Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. He clearly had read Romans chapter 6 where Paul says, the things that I know I should do, I don't do. The things that I know I should do, should not do, I find myself. And you get through that and you're like, what on earth was he talking about? There are some complex truths, but I am glad. I am glad that the main things are the plain things. I'm glad that the things that I need and anyone needs to understand, that even a child can understand. I was saved as a child because I was old enough and I had enough understanding to know the message of the gospel. And following Christ is the same way. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the people that have been to Bible college or seminary or have education. It is for every single believer. And it is as simple as the little song we used to sing when we were kids. Read your Bible and pray every day. You know it? And you'll grow. I think I may be the only person that... Brother Joe, are you saying? I heard you singing it down there. You know these words. And you'll grow, grow. That's as simple as it can be. Every single believer can grow in Christ. Paul said, I'm desperate about this happening. When I couldn't stand it anymore, I had to know. I believe it matters to God. Are we growing? You will never, never, never stop growing until we go to be with Christ. And then we'll be in his image. We'll never stop. Preacher, I've been saved a long time. You know, I've preached to people before, not anybody here this morning, probably some of that crowd that was here last week, and they almost had this attitude of, bless me if you can. Preach something I haven't heard before, and I've heard it all. I mean, how do you you get through to somebody like that? But you know what blesses me? What blesses me is the Christians that I've known over the years that have studied the Scriptures, they've heard it preached, they've heard it taught, And yet they sit there, no matter who's preaching or teaching, and they've got their Bible open, and they are hungry for the Word. I'm reminded two stories that I'll close with. Reuben Archer Torrey was a great Bible scholar who followed D.L. Moody at Moody Church. He was a great man of God. He was on vacation. I mean, he, he, man, this, this guy was brilliant. He was beyond, I mean, he, he was a scholar. He knew the Bible. He was deeply educated. 
His family was on vacation, and his son tells the story of him going to a small church, a little country church. And he said, we sat there, and he said, I don't know whether the pastor knew that the great R.A. Torrey was in the congregation or not. But he said he got up and he preached, and he said, it was probably one of the worst sermons I have ever heard in my life. He said not only could he not exegete a text, he couldn't expound the text, and he said it was exasperating the congregation. He said it was, it was just the worst possible sermon. And he said, I was a little bit embarrassed for the guy because here I am sitting two or three people down from probably one of the greatest preachers in the country at that time. And he said, I looked down at my dad. And he said, my dad had his Bible out. And he was listening intently. And he said, my first thought was, well, he's just, he's just putting on a show for everybody to see. He said, as we walked out, he said, I sort of hung my head. And he said, Dad, it's pretty bad. He said, how could you sit there and listen like that? He said, son, the word of God is being preached. And any time it's being preached, God is speaking. And when God speaks, I will pay attention. Faithful to the end. Keep on growing to the end. Another scholar, Dr. A.T. Robertson, was a well-known New Testament scholar. He taught for years. He was not only a scholar, but he was a, he was a faithful evangelist. They say, tell of the times when he would be preaching the word in revivals, and there would be people that would, I mean, he would walk up and down the aisles in the old-fashioned way and encourage and exhort people to come to Christ. And many of them came to Christ through his revival preaching. Herschel Hobbes was one of his students in the last class that he taught. Just a few days before he died, he said he stood in class. And he said, gentlemen, he said, I've been teaching and preaching and studying and writing about this book for 50 years, more than 50 years. But I never opened it up that I don't see something new. I never opened it up that God doesn't speak to me in it. When they went to, after he passed, shortly after that, they went and took a picture of his desk. They said his desk was open. There was his New Testament open where he'd been doing some translation work. There were some other books and papers, and his pen was laying there, and his glasses were laying there. All the way up until the moment he died, he put down his book. He took off his glasses. He laid down his pencil. He went to his class, and he taught the Word of God, and he went home, and he died faithful. Never, never, never stop growing. Keep growing until the end. Why? Because when Christ comes back for us, that's how he wants to find us. Growing in our faith, growing in our hope, growing in our love. So here's my question to you today. Where are you in your Christian life? Have you reached a plateau that you're happy at and you're satisfied at? You feel like you know everything you need to know? I know enough to get by. I don't have to know everything. Never will know everything, so that's a good excuse. I just know what I need to know. Or has God put a burning desire in your heart to be what Paul speaks of here and what God saved us to be? And that is a mature, grounded believer who is following Christ and who is faithful in growing until the end. When Christ comes back, I want to be found faithful serving him. But I want to be found faithful in sanctification and becoming like Jesus Christ.
Will you bow with me for prayer this morning? I hope this truth has spoken to your heart. Every time I've read this this week, every time I've studied it, it convicts me. You see, there's a tendency for us to settle. And once we settle, we start drifting. Once, once the engine dies, the boat starts drifting. But may the Holy Spirit move us onward. Are you, are you settling? Are you drifting? Are you in danger of drifting? Maybe you're going through challenges. Maybe your challenge this morning is the difficulties of life. Your faith has been challenged. I want to encourage you this morning, as God speaks to your heart, to come to this altar and say, God, help me to stand fast. Help me to stand fast in you. Help me to grow in you. I don't want to settle. I don't want to drift. I want to keep moving forward in my walk with you. God speaks to your heart. Maybe, maybe this morning God has brought to your heart and mind somebody who has had a part in your life, in your walk with Christ, and you've never taken a moment to thank them for it. Maybe it's a Paul. Maybe it's a Timothy. And they've spoken truth to you and they've helped you in your walk. Maybe this is the time to give them a word of appreciation. Maybe you want to come and give thanks to God for them. Whatever God may speak to your heart about this morning, the invitation is the time to come and kneel in prayer before God. Father, speak to us, I pray. Lord, where my words fail, may the words of the Holy Spirit draw your people this morning. We